To Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. I am your host, Karen, and it'll just be me today. Today, we will discuss episode 47 of The Story of Minglan or This podcast will be in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you have any questions, please reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter at Chasing Dramas or else email us. As per usual, I will start off with the drama episode recap and then move on to historical analysis and finally close off with some book differences. In the last episode, we have transitioned more to problems in politics and also in the Gu family. Gu Tingye's cousins from the 4th and 5th house found themselves in deep trouble due to their involvement with the uh, previous prince who incited the failed coup. These two cousins apparently procured some women for the prince in an effort to then bribe and create connections with notable military and court members by gifting these women to those individuals. Well, as we know and saw, the prince has failed, and this level of connection was discovered. And so these two cousins have been dragged off, and they're currently in prison. It is not Minglan's responsibility by any stretch of the imagination to help these cousins, but she is now being accosted by their mothers, the fourth and fifth aunts. They want her to speak to Gu Tingye and ask him for help. That's where we begin episode 47. The thing is, people, if you need help from someone, threatening them and blackmailing them is probably not the right way to do it, especially if the other side is in the position of power to help. But what do these two ladies do? They come to see Minglan in her residence and then threaten to expose to Gu Tingye that she was previously engaged to the He family. If they tell this juicy piece of gossip to Gu Tingye and expose Minglan, it would be grounds to divorce her. Why is this a big deal? In today's world, eh, who cares, right? But back then, apparently it was not proper for a woman's reputation to have been engaged and then married to another man. Essentially, there would have been significant negative implications to what type of woman she is by doing so. Minglan, understandably, is upset. The gall of these two women to come threaten her with this and forcing her to help their sons. I am personally always so impressed with Minglan's ability to calmly rebuke other people's words at her while still insulting them. She basically tells them that there's no need to say this in her face and firmly states that she was never engaged. After the statement, she simply just walks off, leaving these two ladies rather surprised and being like, what, what are you doing? Why are you leaving us? Gu Tingye sees Minglan storm away angrily, which he finds actually rather amusing. What a weirdo. He heads into the hall to see his two aunts. They immediately tell him that he's been tricked. His wife was engaged before marrying him. Kathy disagrees because she thinks the background music is a little too comical for a... It could have been a serious, I guess, 
conversation, but I always adore this exchange for how simple it's resolved. These two aunts thought they could harm Minglan irrevocably, but instead, Gu Tingye is just like, oh, nope, she was never engaged. They're surprised. He knew? Well, of course he knew. He's like, come to think of it, I actually had to employ some tactics in order to get my wife away from them and marry her. Then, and this is probably the most hilarious part to me, he sarcastically thanks his aunts for thinking of him. He's like, your own houses are already on fire, but you have come here to seek justice for me on old matters. Thank you so much. He's chuckling at them while they look away sheepishly. (laughs) What a great way to shut down these gossipers. They think they can come here and cause havoc in Minglan's home, but little do they know their ammunition was completely ineffective. This only works when husband and wife or partners are on the same page, and clearly they were. So another uh, win for communication. The aunts, though, don't give up harassing Minglan and Gu Tingye. Even though Minglan and Gu Tingye have left them, they vow to just wait there. They're just going to sit. Fortunately, Minglan, after letting out her frustration by hitting a pillow and just being annoyed, has a plan to kick them out, and I love this. She doesn't do it in a way that is forceful. She makes them leave of their own accord. So what does she do? She nicely tells her staff to bring over a table of food for the aunts to treat them as if they're planning to stay. The fourth aunt, who is the, um, I guess, more hot-tempered one, is like, okay, fine, I'll eat. But then, as she's about to take her first bite, a screen is brought over and hides the ladies from view. And an accountant sets up paper and ink on the other side of the door. He is there to document everything these ladies say, just in case Minglan and company are questioned by even the emperor. This pauses the fourth aunt from taking her first bite. They know what they're saying is rather inappropriate and definitely do not want it documented. So the fourth aunt and fifth aunt leave hastily with their tail between their legs. Did you learn these tactics to get rid of annoying relatives? I guess it doesn't hurt if you have a scribe on hand for matters like this and free food to give out, but it's rather effective. After Gu Tingye hears that the aunts have left, he sighs. These families have been spoiled all their lives by his father and now his brother. He is a little worried whether his stance of not helping is too harsh. But as Milan explains, he doesn't actually want them to beg to him. He wants them to apologize to him. Any innocent person wants their unjust charges removed and apologized for. As long as in his heart he feels he's doing the right thing, he should feel bad for doing it, even at the expense of the uh, uncomfortableness of his leeching relatives. I think Minglan's summary is quite apt and very wise. I will say for this episode, I feel like Minglan's primary job is Gu Tingye's therapist. As the conflicts at home continues, the drama in court also escalates. The Empress Dowager has requested a meeting with the Prime Minister Han Zhang. 
The Empress Dowager gave the Emperor the Imperial Seal, or Yuxi, because he was going to a temple to pray for rain. She would like the Yuxi, or the Imperial Seal, back. When the Empress Dowager presses him for the seal, he respectfully states that matters of court are frequent and burdensome. Every time the Emperor has to use the seal, he has to bother the Empress Dowager. The emperor sincerely does not want to continue bothering her and thus has kept the seal. The empress dowager is furious. It was the prime minister who told her she should oversee court affairs and now they stole the seal from her? How dare they? Out in the garden, the empress dowager surmises that the only person capable of such a lowly tactic is Gu Tingye. He spent a long time in the market with all sorts of people. He is the sole person in the emperor's cohort that could come up with an idea like this to trick the seal away. Why is this such a big deal? And why is the Empress Dowager so upset? We will explain what a Yuxi is in more detail later on in the podcast episode, but for now, it is the seal that represents the power of the emperor. Without this seal, royal decrees would not be formalized. The Empress Dowager was given this seal, uh, apparently by the Prime Minister, in order to ensure no further turmoil in the transition of imperial power happened, but she refused to give it back. This meant she had overall authority on what is approved or not at court because the emperor, as we have learned, had to ask the empress dowager every time he wanted to use it for something. The implication is that if she did not like something he was enacting, she would simply not provide the seal. This deeply restricts the power of the emperor and essentially means that it is the empress dowager with all of the power. Now that she has total authority, who would want to relinquish it? The emperor had no other recourse but to trick the empress dowager into lending him the seal for a royal trip and just not give it back because in the last episode, we learned that she just basically wasn't giving it back to him. The empress dowager summons the scoundrel who provided such a tactic to the emperor. As Gu Tingye is kneeling outside her rooms, she yells her head off at him. She's known him since he was just a child and has protected him on a number of occasions. How dare he trick her like this and bully a widow? He tells her eunuchs to grab a cane. He should be punished for what he's done. After Gu Tingye removed his top and is quietly awaiting punishment with no pushback whatsoever, the eunuch is actually a little afraid to beat Gu Tingye because there are so many scars on his back. He doesn't know where to start. The Empress Dowager scoffs and personally grabs the cane. If the eunuch is too afraid to beat him, she will do it herself. The moment she turns around to see Gu Tingye's back, though, she also pauses. It is full of scars, evident of his bravery in war or else his suffering as a youth. She throws the cane to the ground and storms off. Why didn't she beat him? I feel like this scene is rather important in humanizing the Empress Dowager because I feel like in a lot of dramas, it's just very simply that the Empress Dowager wants power and doesn't want to give it up. And that's fine. But here, 
I think she isn't someone who is simply power hungry. She does have empathy. She saw his scars and recognized that they came from battle and suffering. For him to be here today must not have been easy. And a lot of those scars from battle were to protect their empire, the Song Dynasty, the empire that her husband oversaw for decades. At the core, the Empress Dowager does want what's best for the Song Dynasty. She thinks what she is doing, aka maintaining power, is what is best. I do find it interesting she concedes her anger after seeing someone else fought so hard for the safety of the empire and doesn't even punish him at all. If she wanted to, she could have, you know, jailed him and done a number of other things, but she let him be. I found that to be very humanizing of a character so that she is more multidimensional rather than just an empress dowager who wants power. At home, Minglan is once again listening to Gu Tingye describe what happened over a meal and analyzing the events. She is ultimately afraid that he is attracting too much negative attention for his actions. This is quite a blatant idea to steal the seal from the Empress Dodger and the entire court will know. It's not good for him to be so obvious and blatant in his activities. Gu Tingye, though, is correct in saying that he doesn't really have much choice. It's obvious whose side he's on, so he is going to be in the way of the Empress Dowager no matter what. It is sweet to hear Minglan genuinely being worried for Gu Tingye's well-being. This also does establish that Gu Tingye is on the opposite side of the Empress Dowager, and that will be important later on. Let me uh, backtrack a little bit because I skipped over a scene where Shen Danyangzi, Qi Hung's new wife, was cleaning up his old belongings and found the porcelain dolls that were his and Minglan's, I guess, love tokens. Madame Shen becomes incredibly upset because now it's confirmed that the reason why her husband doesn't uh, show much affection towards her is because in his heart, there is another. Oh, girl, come on. You're already married to this guy and Minglan's already married to someone else. There's not a whole lot else that they can do. Okay, so take a chill pill. The rest of the episode sees... The tensions in or within the Gu family rising to a boiling point as Gu Tingwei, Gu Tingye's younger brother, is dragged off from his home to be interrogated. His wife cries and begs her mother-in-law, Madame Qin, to save him. After all, he is her birth son. What happened? Why would he be taken away? Apparently, Gu Tingwei took in two women that the cousins had procured for the rebel prince to enjoy for himself. Madame Qin is furious. How could Gu Tingwei be so careless in accepting this kind of gift? Madame Qin explains that this was certainly a trick by the cousins. If the rebel prince had declared victory, they would have been honored for doing their part. But Gu Tingwei would not have been involved at all or shared in any of the, the, the riches and glory. However, 
If the prince lost, as he did, these two women that Gu Tingwei kept would be enough of a connection to implicate Gu Tingwei within the coup. This essentially forces the Marquis' household to help the fourth and fifth houses. It is certainly a devious scheme and, again, showcases how shameless the two families are. They are not worried one bit of dragging their relatives down in order to make sure that they are saved. Minglan and Gu Tingye are summoned to the Gu Manor where the family is assembled. Gu Tingwei's wife begs them to save her husband. Gu Tingye shares that his brother won't lose his life, but depending on what crimes he actually committed, he may be exiled along with the fourth and fifth cousins. This causes the room of wives to start crying and squabbling with each other. In the midst of the chaos, the sickly Gu Tingyu, Gu Tingye's older brother and current marquis steps forward. He's like, let's not talk about anything else. Can you save the Gu family? Gu Tingyu follows up. What is the price? Is it his life or whose life? Gu Tingye chuckles. He doesn't care about that. He wants his mother's name to be added to the clan registry and her actions that ultimately saved the Gu family to be recorded for the entire clan to see. Gu Tingyu, in a heaving voice, shouts that he will never agree to this unless he dies. That night, the uncles, the older brother Gu Tingyu, and Madame Qin discuss what to do. The uncles don't think there's any other option but to agree to Gu Tingye's demands. After all, it is just a little humiliating, but they are going to be able to save their sons. They think it's a fair exchange. Gu Tingyu, though, interjects. He knows that no matter what happens, Gu Tingye will not actually let his family come into trouble. It's all a bluff, and they can call his bluff by not doing anything. Why is Gu Tingyu so opposed to this? If we recall, I'll do a little bit of a refresher for listeners, that it was Gu Tingyu's mother who, I guess, was shunned so that Gu Tingyu and Gu Tingye's father could marry Gu Tingye's mother for her money. Madame Qin, who is the younger sister of Gu Tingyu's mother most definitely whispered lies to Gu Tingyu as he was younger to hate Gu Tingye's mother. And so for Gu Tingye to make this demand, he is like, no, I do not want to do that because this woman ruined my mother's life and got her killed. It is understandable why he has so much hatred and does not want to agree to this, but we have two opposing factions here. Both sons want to do what is best to protect their deceased mothers. The episode ends with Minglan once again trying to ease her husband's tensions. She recognizes, and we will explain further in the next episode, that Gu Tingyu is a really big obstacle for Gu Tingye. His older brother saw right through Gu Tingye's soft heart and is therefore not going to back down. In the next episode, we will finally see what happens between these two brothers and what it means for the future of the Gu family.
All right, let's now turn to some history. First off, let's discuss what the Yuxi or the Imperial Seal of China is. This was the object that the Empress Dowager did not want to give up. Why? This seal was only used by the emperor and originally created by the first unifier of China, Qin Shi Huang, in 221 BC, using a sacred piece of jade called He Shi Bi. And He Shi Bi, it's funny because that piece of jade is also, um, I would guess, I would say has a lot of theories of its background and its power. Uh, essentially, it was carved into a seal with dragons on it and also the words 寿命于天,寄寿永昌 or translated into English uh, means having received the mandate of heaven may the emperor lead a long and prosperous life. This seal was used by generations of emperors as the ultimate signal of ruling authority and it means that by having this object, you have the mandate of heaven. It legitimized the authority of whoever held it. And if you declared yourself king or emperor without the seal, you could be considered illegitimate. There have been plenty of dramas or books that talked about how in order to seize the throne, they either created a fake seal or tried to steal the seal. Unfortunately, the original object is lost to history. There are conflicting reports as to where and when it was lost, but sources seem to, I guess, converge around the Song Dynasty, either right before or right during its, uh, its downfall. In any case, I am still incredibly impressed that... Given the bloody history that is Chinese history and the number of different dynasties that came and gone, the fact that uh, one object remained for more than a millennia is quite impressive. I am also surprised to learn this because I always thought that even up until the Qing dynasty, they do talk about a yuxi or an imperial seal in many of the dramas. So I didn't know that what they were using in the most recent dynasty, like the Qing dynasty, was not the original one. And that makes sense. I wouldn't expect um, something like that to survive. I just, I guess I took it for granted. It is the ultimate status symbol of power. So we now understand why the Empress Dowager in this drama does not want to give it up. Next up, let's talk a little bit about the guy who was in on the trick towards the uh, or against the Empress Dowager, and that is Han Zhang, the Prime Minister, or in real life, his name was Han Qi. Born in 1008, August 5th, and died 1075 on August 8th, he was a very important political figure during the reign of Song Renzong previous emperor, Song Yinzong, who we have right now, and the son, Song Shenzong. Hailing from a bureaucratic family, he passed the imperial exams and became a Jin Shi at the age of 19. 
Over the years, he successfully pushed through many reforms, brokered truce in the West, and was a crucial member of cabinet and prime minister over three reigns. He was highly respected and was given great honors after his death. We will definitely see more of him in future episodes. Next up are two idioms, or I guess anecdotes. First is Jin Chan Tuo Chiao. This was brought up by the fourth aunt when trying to corner Ming Lan into helping them. Ming Lan was trying to, I guess, walk away from the situation, but the fourth aunt was like, you better not try to Jin Chan Tuo Chiao and avoid helping us or talking to us. The literal translation of this phrase is the golden cicada sheds its skin. But the meaning is to uh, do a quick change. This is often used to describe a military strategy in which one army pretends to do something so as to lure the attention of the enemy army. The defending army then retreats or does something else to utterly surprise the enemy army, such as escaping. This tactic isn't new at all, but military strategists just didn't use the phrase Jin Chan Tuo Chiao. It is actually an anachronism because the first written record of the phrase didn't appear until the Yuan Dynasty in a Chinese opera. The Yuan Dynasty came after the Song Dynasty, so technically the fourth aunt would not know what, uh, what this phrase means. But... I will say it is an apt comparison to what happened at least last time they tried to corner Minglan. She gave the excuse that her daughter was missing uh, or stepdaughter was missing and she was able to scuttle away. And now they are trying to prevent Minglan from doing that. Okay, the last phrase I want to bring up is Hongmen Yan. This was actually brought up by Xiao Tao, Minglan's head maid, while they were in a carriage trundling over to the Gu Manor after learning that Gu Tingwei had been taken away for interrogation. The literal translation of Hongmen Yan is actually an event. It is the feast at Swan Goose Gate. Hongmen uh, is translated into Swan Goose Gate and was recorded by Han Dynasty historian Sima Tian, this event itself. The feast is about a meeting during the power struggle for the throne after the fall of China's first unified dynasty, the Qin Dynasty. So we just talked about Qin Shi Huang creating the uh, Yuxi, and now we are talking about what happened after that dynasty fell. The players we are currently discussing are Xiang Yu and Liu Bang, and we have talked about them before. They are two opposing leaders following the demise of the Qin Dynasty. And this event takes place in 206 BC. Xiang Yu, who was the leading power at the time, became wary of Liu Bang's incremental power. He invites Liu Bang for a feast at Hongmen Gate, but the goal is to kill Liu Bang at that feast. Liu Bang learned of the trap, but was still forced to go. At the feast, he apologizes to Xiang Yu for any misunderstandings between them, and with the help of one of his soldiers, Liu Bang was able to escape. 
Historians argued that this event could be seen as the beginning of the end of Xiang Yu's hold to power as, four years later, he was defeated by Liu Bang, who became the first emperor of the Han Dynasty. This event is now referenced for any feast, meal, or you could say meeting that is a trap and bodes ill will towards the guest invited for the event. Funnily enough, there is actually a film called Hong Men Yan, where Feng Shaofeng, the actor for Gu Tingye, plays the doomed Xiang Yu. And so in this case, why did Xiao Tao bring this up? Because Ming Lan and Gu Tingye are going over to the Gu family, but they probably know it's a trap waiting for them to uh, make sure they try to help members of the Gu family. Wrapping up, let's talk about book differences. The main book difference for this episode includes the fact that the book made no mention of Ti Hong's wife and her involvement on anything related to the Gu family or indeed her views of marriage with Ti Hong. In the drama, they most certainly aggrandize Shen Danyang's or Madame Shen's role in the lives of Ming Lan, Ti Hong, and Gu Tingye. Sure, in the book, there was some dissatisfaction here and there, but there was certainly not the uh, level of sadness at uh, discovering old tokens of your husband's. That is it for today. Thank you all so much for listening. If you haven't already, please check out our website with the latest drama reviews we've done or also vote on the next drama we should discuss on this podcast. Currently, I think it's uh, <laughs> the story of Yanxi Palace that is in the lead. If you are looking for sites to watch dramas and you're in the United States, please head on over to Jubao TV, which is a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch. You can stream it through the website Jumo, XUMO, or else access it on your TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour. Once again, reminder that this is all free. The music you heard is the zither piece called Lan with sheet music by Bingjiu, Wonyojun, and played by me. Thanks again, and we will catch you in the next episode.